Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. I was thinking this week, I think one of the most dangerous sentences in the English language One of the sentences that scares me the most is, can we talk? (laughs) How many of you get nervous when someone comes up and says, can we talk? Very seldom when someone says, can we talk, do they want to talk about anything good? All right, it's it's not like when you walk in the office and your boss says, can we talk? How many of your heart rate just goes up a little bit? It's never happened to me where my boss has invited me in, hey, can we talk? Hey, just want you to know, we figured out the other day, we've not been paying you enough. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a raise. We're actually going to back pay you with interest the last five years, what we owe you. How many knows that never happens? All right, how many walk in the door and your spouse says, can we talk? I just, that's usually not, you know, hey, can we talk? You've just been doing way too much around the house. Why don't you just take the weekend and just lay around and I'll take care of anything. It's usually not that. It's usually, you know, what I've noticed is when someone says, can we talk? It's kind of, we need a new understanding of reality. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like, you know, things are going to be different from this point on one way or the other. All right. So with that in mind, that's a crazy introduction. If that in mind, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is a can we talk moment. I don't know what your Bible's like. My Bible has like headings, you know, kind of over certain sections. And the heading over Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, could be Jesus pulling the disciples together and saying, hey, can we talk? Because we've got to make sure there's a clear understanding here. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 16, 13. And let me give you a little context. And I, I love this passage of Scripture uh, f- for a lot of reasons. And it's, it's really, I think, one of the most foundational passages uh, for Christians. But in Matthew chapter 16, it's about halfway into Jesus' ministry. The Bible tells us that Jesus lived for 30 years before he went public with who he was. And once he did, he ministered for about three years. We know he made three. In fact, Pastor Terry talked about uh, Passover. We know that three times Jesus, for Passover, went to Jerusalem. So that's how we know that his his ministry covered about three years. So in Matthew 16, we're about halfway into Jesus' ministry. And from this point, up to this point, it's been mostly good stuff. It's been Jesus teaching. He's been doing miracles. He's gathering crowds. There's been some opposition but not a lot, certainly not as much as there would be from this point on. And so he's about halfway through, and he's already identified the disciples who will become apostles, who are the men that will take this message all over the world and and found actually Christianity as, as we know it. And so in Matthew 16, he calls them together and says, can we talk? I want to make sure you know what you're getting into that you know what this is all about, and so that I can count on you for the rest of the way. Does that make sense? 
All right, so in Matthew chapter 16, look in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, and that's key, he had pulled his disciples kind of out of the crowd so he could have this conversation, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, let me say this. That is the most important question that any individual will have to deal with. Who do we believe that Jesus is? I heard one guy phrase it this way. I thought it was brilliant. He said, the most important thing about any of us is what we think about when we think about God. Because what we think about God will direct everything else. It directs all of our thoughts. It directs all of our actions. It, it, it influences all of our relationships, how we deal with others, how we deal with money, our hopes and our dreams, our perspective. All of that flows out of who we think Jesus Christ is. And so as Jesus gathers his disciples together, and he's going to get to them individually in a second, he starts off the conversation with, who do people say that I am? And really, if it was in our language, he would say, hey, what are people saying about me? And, and let's not, Jesus is not insecure, all right? That's another dangerous question, all right? How many, you ever ask, I remember in high school, you know, I'd like some girl, and I asked one of her friends, hey, ask her what she thinks about me. Does she like me? How many know sometimes you got a brutal response, all right? He, that's not what he's doing. He's setting the conversation. And so he's saying, who do people say the son of man? What are the crowds saying? He's not talking to them yet. Look at their answer. They replied, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner. Now, he had been killed at this point. Others say Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, that it had been prophesied that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, here's what I think is interesting about that verse right there. All of those answers came from a previous perspective. Does that make sense? The crowds, the people that Jesus is asking about, they were familiar with John the Baptist because they'd heard him speak. They, were, they had heard about Elijah and Jeremiah and the prophets all of their life. So when Jesus comes on the scene and they look at Jesus, they interpret Jesus in the light and through the lens of their life and their knowledge and their experiences. So basically what they did is they saw this man and they were intrigued by him and they saw his miracles and they listened to his teaching. And so their question was, oh, wow, that's pretty neat. How does he fit into my world? And that's not the direction Jesus wanted them to go. They were saying, how does Jesus fit into my world? As we start off this series on no other name and who is Jesus Christ, we've got to make sure that we're not doing that. And in fact, uh, God had warned them about this years ago. So if you go all the way back, God had warned the Israelites to the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments? All right, top ten, God's top ten. So the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, thou shalt worship no other gods. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second commandment is, thou shalt not have any idols. Now, if you stop for a second, you ever wondered, isn't that a little bit redundant? All right, no other gods, no idols. In fact, let me read it for you. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. It says, you shall not make for yourself an image. Say image. I think that's the key word there. 
should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Now, here's the difference between the first and the second commandments. The first commandment says, you don't worship anyone else but me. I'm the only game in town, all right? The second commandment is not so much about worshiping other gods, but about how we worship the true God. Because every other nation of their day had pictures and statues and images of their God. And it helped them see and it helped them conceive who that God was. But here's where it got dangerous. They would pick the image that represented the characteristic that they thought they needed at that time. So if they were going to war, they would make a statue of a God of strength because we're going to war and we need strength. Or if they were an agricultural society and, and man, they needed the crops to grow, they would worship a God of crops and a God that would make those crops grow. And so they had an image, but here's the problem. We can control an image is one, and the image always limited God. And so at the very beginning of the Israelite religion, he says, you worship me, but don't make any images of me because any image you make of me limits me. And it limits your perspective and it limits your mindset. And I'm not limited to that. And that's why in the Old Testament, when they did the tabernacle, and they had lots of pictures. They had pictures of flowers and pictures of animals. And, you know, it, God wasn't against art and all that kind of stuff. He said, you can draw a picture of anything else, but don't draw a picture of me. Because the minute you draw a picture of me, then in your life, I am, I am limited to that picture. And in fact, if you'll notice in the Old Testament, God identifies, now look, God calls himself father and he'll call himself warrior because he's trying to use our language to explain who he is, but he's bigger than that. But most of the time when God identifies himself, he identifies himself about what he does. I am the God that created the heavens and the earth. I am the God that brought you out of Israel. He wants to be identified by what he does in our life and he wants to be free to do anything he wants in our life. Does that make sense? And that's why early on, and look, this, this separated the Israelites from every other religion. Man, there had every single religion always had pictures of their God. But God says, I don't want you to do that because I don't want you to limit me. And also, I don't want you to pick and choose. I don't want you picking the image of the God that you think you need at any certain time. Because you don't know what you need. You don't know where you came from. You don't know where you're going. You don't have a clue what's going on right now. So don't pray to a God of strength or a God of comfort. You pray to me and I'll give you what you need. Does that make sense? So God had done that all the time. And the Israelites did great for the most part of not doing physical images, but like all of us, all right? It's easy to beat up on, on mistakes that people make in the Bible, but how many know we're making those same mistakes every single day? It's hard for us not to get an image of God in our mind. But when we do, it limits what God can do in our life because we're limited to that image instead of giving him the freedom to do whatever. And so when Jesus says, what, what are people saying? It was all limited to that. Now, we do the same thing here. We do the same thing. And so I wrote some down. I hope, I hope, uh, I hope this is interesting. All right. 
I wrote some Jesuses down that we follow. Now, we don't have pictures of these, but I'm going to tell you, in my mind, I have served every single one of these Jesuses at one time or another. The first one is legalistic Jesus. Come on, how many have served legalistic Jesus before? This is a Jesus that says, here's how you know what's right and wrong. Here's a list of things that you do, and here's a list of things that you don't do. And honestly, Christianity kind of gets tagged for that most of the time. And so you think about that, why would anyone follow a legalistic Jesus? I mean, that's not really fun. Well, I think there's two reasons to follow a legalistic Jesus. One, a legalistic Jesus tells me that I'm better than you are. All right, God said do these things, don't do these things. I saw you do one of those things. I didn't do it. God loves me more. All right, I got that legalistic Jesus in my head, and it just makes me feel better about myself. And isn't it interesting how God tends to put a lot of emphasis on the things that we do well and have grace for the things that we struggle with. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? All right, God always has more grace for us than those sinners out there, man. Can't believe those sinners. God isn't pleased with them. He's pleased with me. And so, you know, legalistic Jesus, it makes me feel better about myself. But here's the other thing. When I have served legalistic Jesus, I know what I can get away with. You know what I'm talking about? God said, do this. Don't do this. This over here is not even on the sheet. All right? Sometimes legalism narrows our responsibilities. Come on, how many of you guys in business, you ever been someone says, well, that wasn't on the contract? Well, but that was kind of, it wasn't on the contract. I can do it. Sometimes we're like that with God. So sometimes we serve legalistic Jesus. Uh, I wrote this one down. Sometimes we serve BFF Jesus. Best friends forever. Jesus is my homeboy. This is kind of the opposite of legalistic Jesus, all right? So when we're doing well, we serve legalistic Jesus. And then sometimes, you know, it's interesting how we just kind of find ourselves gliding through different Jesuses through our life, all right? Then we get to BFF Jesus. There was an old country song, me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, you don't. <laughs> Jesus, man, me and Jesus, we just hang out. Don't limit me to what you say and, and those things going on. And man, I read the Bible when I can. Jesus understands and he knows sometimes I mess up. And man, we're just, we're just hanging. It's about the journey and the process. And I, I think those things, but they don't come out really well. I'm not really a flowy kind of guy, all right? And so, uh, so that, you know, that's BFF Jesus. Sometimes we serve them. He makes us feel better about ourselves. Uh, I struggle with the name for this one, so this is the best I come up with. Genetic Jesus. Genetic Jesus. Are, are you a Christian? Yeah, my mom and dad was a Christian. My mom and dad was a Christian. I'm a Christian. My uncle's a Baptist pastor, all right? You ever talk to anybody like that? Man, they're in terrible shape. My uncle, he, he did, you know, all kind of stuff. Some, I, I, sometimes, now, our culture is changing, all right? And uh, I can tell I'm getting old because I, I, I see things like, it shouldn't be like that anymore. Uh, and some are good, some are bad. But when I grew up, man, everybody I went to school with was a Christian. Why were you? Well, I'm born in Baton Rouge. You're either Baptist or Catholic. I told them I was Pentecostal, and they'd be like, well, your, your sister wears makeup. That doesn't make any sense. What is Pentecostal? I start talking about tongues, and then, you know, she'd break up with me, and I quit talking about all that. <laughs> Everybody in my high school was a Christian. ACLU ain't never heard of Central High. We, we prayed before every game. We prayed. I had a coach. Man, he would pray every practice. The most amazing prayers 
our Father and bountiful blessings and all this kind of stuff. Get out on the field, you blankety, 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 whatever. You know, it's, it's sometimes we feel like, well, yeah, I mean, I got baptized and I did this and I went through this class and I was born here and my parents and look, it ain't, it ain't like that. Sometimes we just feel like we were born into it. Um, here's another one, self-improvement Jesus. Things ain't going good, time to go to church. Yeah, do you know, yeah, I'm a much better husband, wife, spouse since I met Jesus. My investments have done so much better since I started reading this little devotional right here. You know what I'm talking about? And we can laugh about these, but, you know, sometimes we just, we, we come to church, we come to Jesus because we got an issue in our life and, and, you know, we pretty much peg him down. Don't touch all this. I just need your help over here. And, and the Bible ends up kind of on a bookshelf. And for those of you under 20, a book is if you printed the internet, all right? And so, you like that? How many of you print the internet every single day? My kids try to show me something on computer. I was like, you got to print it, all right? I can't read all that. And so, you know, the Bible kind of ends up on a bookshelf, you know, next to, you know, seven habits of highly affected people and how to win friends and influence people. Look, nothing against all those books, but Jesus didn't come and die on a cross just so I could be better at certain areas of my life. Um, That's self-improvement Jesus. Here's maybe the most dangerous one. We've all done this. Genie Jesus. Genie in a bottle. All right, I got a test tomorrow. Come on, Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Get a call from the, we ain't talked to him in three years. Get a, you know, talk to the doctor. All of a sudden we're, you know, we're holy again. Or, you know, look at our financial statement and we need Jesus again. Fourth quarter of the LSU Alabama game. All right. And sometimes, and look, we all have, this is not anybody, we've all done this. Genie in a bottle, Jesus. And and the last one kind of encapsulates all of these. Uh, and I think it's the most dangerous. It scares me the most. And I call this, and I didn't come up with this. I heard this somewhere. Vaccination Jesus. What is a vaccination? It gives you just enough of something to keep you from catching the real thing. And one of my biggest fears for my life, one of my biggest fears for my kids is that they will be around Jesus so much that they never actually meet the real Jesus. And that's a fear for me. You know, we got to, and look, I don't apologize for anything that we do, but church doesn't take the place of a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth that died for our sins. Now look, come to church every week, youth group, devotionals, all of that. Now I'll tell you this, and I'll, I'll say this as a, as a parent, one of the reasons I send my kids to as much as I can, I send them to youth camp. I don't think they call it youth camp anymore, student ministry conference, all right? I send them to Devoted on Wednesday nights because I never know when that moment's going to happen where they end up on their face in the altar. And look, we do home devotionals and we do all of that. But I don't, I don't say this to say I shy away from being in church activities. I just, when I'm at the church, I want to press in a little bit more because I don't want to be vaccinated that I come to church 
and I worship and I read my Bible, read my devotional, and I get just enough that it keeps me from catching the real thing. And I think about, we're not going to turn there, but there's a story in Matthew 9 of a woman who needed a miracle. And she saw Jesus, but the Bible says that Jesus was so crowded, there's so many people around him, he couldn't take a step without bumping into somebody. But this lady needed a miracle. She fought her way through the crowd. She grabbed his coat. The Bible says that power came out of her and went out of him and went into her. And she got her miracle. And Jesus stopped and he said, Who touched me? And the disciples are like, Are you crazy? There are people everywhere bumping into you. How can you ask who touched me? You know, he was saying, there's a lot of people around me, but only one reached out and grabbed me. I want to be that one that reaches out and grabs Jesus. And I say that because, you know, my my fear for, for myself, my fear for my children, my fear for us is that we'll be around Jesus so much, we never feel the need to reach out and grab him. We never feel the need to come face to face with the real Jesus. Now, with all that being said, why is it that we would settle for those Jesuses that we just named? Why would we settle for anything less than the real Jesus? Well, I think there are a couple reasons. So let's read through this, and then we're going to come to them. So they said, um, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, the prophets. Verse 15, but what about you? I think that's the question that he wants to ask all of us, really every single day, but over the next few weeks. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter had the right answer. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. It means anointed one. You are the chosen. You know what he was saying? You're the only way. You're the way God has chosen. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replied. Now, I want you to look at what he says. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father who is in heaven. I think one of the reasons that we settle for less than the real Jesus is we don't stop our own stuff long enough to find out who he really is. Jesus told Simon, you didn't hear that anywhere else. That didn't come out of a conversation. That didn't come out of a book. That didn't come from the crowd. That came directly from my Father who is in heaven. If we're going to meet the real Jesus, we have got to stop our life at some point. Get still, which is hard for us, and lean in and listen to what God would want to say to us about who he really is. And that is hard, and in our culture, that gets harder. And, and I mean that as a moment where we do that, but also just in our life to kind of put everything on hold and say, you know what, I'm going to figure out the answer to this question. Who do you say that I am? Then once I figure this out, I'll get to everything else. I'll get to relationships. I'll get to finances. I'll get to ambitions. But I can't take that step unless I take this step. Does that make sense? And that's hard to do. That's hard because life seems like it never stops. And and, and physically, we've got to stop, but also spiritually and emotionally. Just say, I'm calling time out till I figure this one out. 
And that's hard to do. And not only is it hard to do, but then what's the problem? Once you know something, you're accountable for it. I mean, does anybody else have parts of your life that you don't like to look at? Because then you're accountable for the information. You know, a financial statement. Maybe that hall closet. You have a hall closet you just don't even open. Because then you feel like you got to clean it. Maybe it's the scale in your bathroom. I want to step on that scale. That might tell me something I don't want to know. Then, Because what happens? Once I know it, i got to do something with it. And, you know, you hear the saying, ignorance is bliss. I don't know if ignorance is bliss, but ignorance is easier. And if I press in and find out who Jesus really is, then now I'm accountable for that information. And sometimes it's just easier to go with who I thought Jesus was. So let's look at the rest. And I kind of want to get dive in this story a little bit, then we'll go to the second reason I think it's hard. Because I, I love this story, and it's a little bit funny to me too. So he asks, who do people say that I am? And they say what it is. And then he says, well, what, do you, what, do, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter steps, which he did. Peter was usually the first one to speak up, and you could kind of flip a coin. Sometimes it was brilliant. Halftime it was stupid, all right? And that comes out in, in this thing. So Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look what he says, verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Now, the word Peter, we call Peter, Peter. His mom named him Simon. And you know, she got mad later in life when they called him the Apostle Peter. And I named him Simon. She called him, I'm sure she called him Simon as long as he lived. But the word Peter means rock. So if Jesus were to say this in, in, our, in our language, he would say, and I tell you that you're no longer Simon, but you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. And at this moment, Peter's kind of bowing up a little bit. You know, just, you, know, you ever look up in math and get the right answer? And he's just kind of, and Jesus is bragging on him and he's kind of standing up. So look, go to verse 21. And it says, so from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. So remember we said this is a can we talk moment where he's explaining what life is going to be like. So he's not just talking about who he is. All right, now we know who I am. Let's talk about what life is going to be like. Here's where I'm going. I know it's been crowds and miracles and bread and all that kind of stuff. And I know a couple of you are really excited about the water and the wine part. All right. But as I move forward, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to get beaten and I'm going to get killed. But I'm going to raise from the dead. Now, this was so, whoa, out of the blue until it actually happened. Even the disciples didn't understand it. I mean, when Jesus died, they thought that was it, even though he told them over and over and over again. Now, look at what Peter does. To me, this is one of the funniest verses in the whole Bible. All right, where's that? Verse 22, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. I would have just loved to have been there. When Jesus is bragging on Peter, that's right, Peter, you're the rock, man. I'm, I'm building on you. And then he goes to talk about I'm going to get arrested and, and killed. And Peter kind of stands up. You ever have that guy in your group that stands up and talks? Everybody just rolls their eyes. Here we go again. <laughs> kind of puts his arm around. Come here, Jesus. Why all the negativity? I'm the rock. I got you. Don't worry about this. We're going to take care of this. Just, you know, you're scaring the children. It's me and you. 
All right, the gates of hell will not prevail. Look at what Jesus, verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He went from rock to Satan in one paragraph. This is why I think Jesus was a teenager. So he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Rock I'm going to build my church on, stumbling block. How many feel like you have days like that? All right. And you're just hoping it's the right one before you go to bed. All right. So he says, a stumbling block. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I think another reason we settle for a less than real Jesus is when we find the real Jesus, it costs a lot. He was telling him, now you know who I am. Well, this is what it means. If anyone, I think some of those dangerous words in the Bible are what I call those comprehensive words because they leave us no wiggle room. Anyone, everyone, all, whosoever, whatsoever. If anyone, not just spiritual giants, if you want to recognize who I am and follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That is costly. And I was trying to think of the best way to, to illustrate that. And this may sound silly, but in my mind, it makes sense. It's as if Jesus was saying that all of us are kind of standing on a dock, and there's a boat out there. And that boat has everything that we are and everything that we want to be. All our hopes, dreams, desires, likes, all of that is on that boat. And we are standing on the dock, and we're holding the rope. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to let go of that rope and just watch it float away. And you don't know if it's coming back or not. I think that's one of the reasons that we settle for less than the real Jesus. Is, man, we love Jesus. We want to hang out with Jesus. But, man, we're holding on to that rope tightly. And look, we all do it. We've all let go and jumped in the water after it. All right? I think one of the reasons we settle for less than the real Jesus is that it costs us a lot. So knowing that, why would we even want the real Jesus? I wrote down three things. First one is this. Only Jesus can give us our true identity and destiny. He was Simon until he figured out who Jesus was. But once he knew who, and it didn't mean he stopped making mistakes, still made a lot of mistakes, but once Simon figured out who Jesus really was, he switched over from Simon to Peter. He switched over from a fisherman to someone that Jesus says, you're a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not because you're any stronger than you were before or any holier than you were before, but because you figured out who I am. We can never know who we really are till we figure out who Jesus really is. He's the one that will give us our identity. We'll spend our whole life searching for who we're really supposed to be when all we have to do to get that is take our eyes off who we're supposed to be, put our eyes on who Jesus really is, commit to him, and he'll tell us who we really are. He'll give us our real destiny. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. God will not build on what he does not own. I heard a guy say that to me one time, and I've never forgotten that. God will not build on what he does not own. When Jesus told Peter, you are the rock, and upon this rock, 
I will build my church. But if you stop it there, on this rock, I will build whatever. God's not going to build on my life until he knows I know who he is and I've committed my life to him. And we spend our whole life trying to build this great life, this great identity, but we're building it on a shaky foundation because Jesus Christ is the rock we build our life on. And not just Jesus is the rock we build our life on. Our acknowledgement of Jesus is what our life is built on. And God can't build on our life until we recognize who we really is and we commit ourselves to him. And the third thing is this, and I'm going to ask the band to come out. We receive much more than we sacrifice. Look at what Jesus said. Let's start with verse 24. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's hard. But look at what he says. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But look at this next verse. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Recognizing Jesus, following Jesus, is going to cost us more than we could ever imagine. But we get back more than we could ever imagine. You know, I, I was thinking this week, you know, a lot of times we'll try to negotiate with God. We hit an impasse in our life or something, or maybe it's even something that we want. We'll try to negotiate with God. It's God, if you'll give me this, you know, then I'll do this. Negotiating with God doesn't work for two reasons. One is we don't have anything that he needs. All right, it's totally a one-way relationship. We have nothing to offer him. And I've, I've thought about that a lot, and we talk about that a lot. But I think it's on the other side. You can't negotiate with God because we're asking for way less than he wanted to give us in the first place. See, he's asking for everything. And that seems harsh to us on this end. But if we'll do it, what he wants to give us. We say this verse all the time. I think I say it every time I preach because I love it. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do what? Significantly more than all we could ask or even imagine. Why is it worth committing to the actual, real Jesus that created this world and died on a cross for our sins? Because what he has for us is way more than we could even imagine. He says, he who loses his life for me, they're the only ones that truly find it. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.